Where's the microphone? Okay. Um, hi, I'm Eleanor. I'm in my second year uh, of uni. Um, and we're going to be reading the Bible from Acts today. So if you open up your paper, it's like the one on the left side. On the left. So the, the um, passage we're reading from is Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one, of, each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygera and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Thank you. Well done. Is this stand getting lower and lower, or do you think I am this short? <laughs> is, is, can this move? Uh, it'll do. I, I'll turn it. Uh, welcome, everybody, uh, especially if it's your first time with us. My name's Richard, and I'll have the pleasure of speaking to you from that very passage. Um, I, too, am Malaysian, uh, but I can't speak more than one language, so shame on me. Um, and secondly, yes, I was late. Uh, that is because I don't take any attention to notifications on my phone, so I'm very sorry about that, but I will seek to do that from this point onwards. So I take that's why you're here on time and I'm not. Uh, but good to have you with us. Well... We're looking at this part of the Bible known as Acts chapter 2. But before we look at it, let me lead us in prayer. Let's pray together. We thank you, dear Father, for the privilege it is to gather and to serve you. And we thank you for those of us who are here, perhaps even for the first time, that you might help us to so listen to your voice and live accordingly. And Father, we pray this for Jesus' most precious sake. Amen. But at some point in your life, someone will tell you that you can change the world. If you haven't heard it already, someone will tell you that. Whether it's climate change, whether it's war, whether it's disease, whether it's unemployment, whether it's deficits, you can make a difference. You can change the world. Just rewrite the stars. Or as someone once put it, just think of what the world could be like. A million dreams is all it's going to take. A million dreams for this world we're going to make. 
Well, you can turn these words into lyrics into a great movie, I understand. <laughs> but that's all it's going to take. Dreams to change the world. If you were here with us last week, we saw how Jesus has already begun to change the world. And we saw this from a part of the Bible known as the book of Acts. Acts, of course, is the second of two volumes which a man named Luke wrote. The first volume concerned what Jesus began to do and teach. This second volume concerns what Jesus continues to do and teach. In other words, Acts is about the continuing acts of the risen Jesus by his Spirit through his apostles. It concerns the restoration of his kingdom. In God's timing, Jesus will establish his rule from heaven as king over all the nations. In God's timing, Jesus will establish his rule from heaven as king over all the nations. That's the big message of the book of Acts. And it started with his apostles commissioned by Jesus to be his witnesses, beginning at Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And here in Acts chapter 2, the restoration of the kingdom continues. Now, arguably, Acts chapter 2 is the most significant part of the New Testament. Arguably. I'll explain why a little later. But please note that it's made up of three things here, all brought to you by the letter E. The event, the explanation, and the effect. The event, the explanation, the effect. And firstly, we'll begin with the event, of course. It was the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover festival. Now, Pentecost, pente, is the Greek word for five, right? So therefore, this is 50 days after the Passover. Now, this Passover festival was, uh, well, the time in which they celebrated when God had passed over, put his angel over the Exodus and passed over his people who were saved from the plagues at the time. Now, originally, it was a harvest festival, this Pentecost day, 50 days after the Passover, but it became a day to celebrate the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. But on this particular Pentecost, something different happened. Something quite different. Here's the event. Read it with me in verse 1 to 4. Have a look there in your outlines. Verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues, as of fire, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, that's the event. Some of you are familiar with it. Others of you are reading this for the first time, perhaps. Never known what a Christian is, let alone what these events are all about. But let's just do straightforward comprehension now. Can you please turn to someone who you're not as familiar with, if I could put it as gently as that. So turn to someone next to you or behind you or in front of you. I don't know who it is, but it's someone who is less familiar to you. And what you can do is say, hello, my name is. And then secondly, straight after the name, just secondly, what happens in order by way of detail? 
in verses 1 to 4. What happens in order? Okay? Go for it. You've got a minute. Right. That's enough time to work out what's going on. Okay, so can we please uh, share? Share for a moment. Anybody on kind of this side? What ha- what's the first thing that happens on the day of Pentecost? On that particular day? First thing that happens? Nothing. Sorry. No, all together in one place. Next thing that happens? There's a big sound. There's a big sound. Sound of what? Oh, okay. Is it, is, it, is it actually wind? No. No. It's the sound of rushing wind. You didn't, they didn't actually feel it. It's the sound of the rushing wind. Not just a rushing wind, but a mighty rushing wind. Did you know that? So it's a sound that fills the room, not wind itself. What happens next? Tongues of fire. Tongues of fire. Are they actually tongues of fire? As of fire. As of fire. So again, it's not actually fire, is it? What is a tongue of fire anyway? Uh, what's a tongue of fire? When you eat too much chili. When you eat too much chili. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. No, what is a tongue? Well, have you heard the phrase, you know, how the fire licked up stuff? It's, it's that kind of idea that a tongue, well, it's, it's, it does that licking stuff, but it's, it's the shape perhaps of a tongue, but they're, they're flames, but they're as of fire. Whatever it is, it's not actually fire, but what they see, right? So they hear the sound, they see something that looks like fire on each person, and then what happens? They're filled with the Holy Spirit, which enables them to speak in tongues. And the tongues are what? Languages. Languages. Languages that people can understand, by the way. Yeah? So please get the details right. It's a sound. It's not the actual wind. It's a vision of fire. Not actually fire. But they can see it. And then they speak in tongues. Languages that people can understand. But firstly, let's let's just narrow down a little bit to the wind and the fire bit. Can you think of anywhere in the Old Testament where there's wind and fire that come together? Yeah? That um, sort of tornado-y pillar of... Pillar of cloud and fire, yeah, in Exodus, that's right. The people of Israel, yeah, it's leading the people of Israel. So there's a pillar of cloud, which implies wind of some kind, right? There's fire, so there's wind and fire, which is God directing his people out of Egypt after the plagues. What else is there in terms of wind and fire? Can you think of anywhere else yet? Uh, when Elijah is in the wilderness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's wind and fire there. And it's actually meant to be representative of another particular place of a particular time. So where is Elijah when he's, there's wind and fire and stuff? Uh, Sinai? Yes, Mount Sinai. Exactly. What about the first time at Mount Sinai? What happened there? There was wind and fire. Funny that, wasn't there? <laughs> well done. That's right. There's wind and fire all over the place, isn't there? Wind and fire come together. In fact, you can make a band called Earth, Wind and Fire as well, by the way. Gee, we're good on lyrics today, aren't we? Wind and fire, why, they're associated with the presence of God in some sense. Here is the presence of God, at least echoes of his presence of God here. And they speak in tongues. And by the way, where did the sound come from? Heaven. Who's just gone to heaven in chapter 1? Jesus has just gone to heaven, and from heaven, the sound comes down. Do you know that? That's just the event, right? So much. Isn't the Bible just cool? 
so amazing. So much gold in there. And we haven't got to the, dare I say, more significant parts. Here is the event that takes place. The apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit, begin to speak in different languages that Jews from all around the world could understand. Remember, they were Galileans. They were backwater hicks with no education. Like the Shire. Somewhere like that. Somewhere like that. Um, I'm sorry, I know your Shire types can actually take that because you're tough, right? Okay. I was, was going to say somewhere else, but I think people would have been offended there too. Um, I'll just get on with it, forget the last <laughs> But now they can speak in all different kinds of languages. These backwater hicks. The event, note, is descriptive. It's not prescriptive. What do I mean by that? It describes a unique event. It doesn't prescribe this as a kind of event that must be repeated until Jesus returns. You know, this, you hear the sound of mighty wind, you kind of go, oh, well, that's the Holy Spirit. No, no, we can't think that immediately, can we? That it's a sign. Uh, nor can we say that speaking in tongues must be repeated as a sign of the Holy Spirit. Yes, it happens. Yes, it happened. Yes, it can happen. So I'm not saying that it can't happen. All I'm saying is that he's not saying it must happen. That it must happen. When I first arrived at the University of Wollongong some 20 plus years ago, one of the local pastors was teaching our international group, not the focus group, but the group that preceded it, that you must speak in tongues in order to be a Christian. You must, otherwise you're not a Christian. Now, I take it that you don't hold that view. Because otherwise, most of us, oh, well, I don't know about most, I really don't know most of you, but I take it that a number of us here can't be Christians because we've never spoken in tongues. I've never spoken in tongues before. It kind of depends what you mean by speaking in tongues, though. But as I told you, I can't even speak in another language anyway. This event is uniquely described. It involves hearing the sound of wind, seeing what looked like fire, speaking in different languages. Small wonder that we read in verse 12, look at small number 12 there, he says, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They're all filled with new wine. Now, actually, Peter, the leader of the twelve apostolic witnesses, explains this unique event. So initially he points out that they can't be drunk. Uh, they can't be drunk. They can't be filled with new wine because it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> he hasn't been in 21st century Australia. <laughs> the explanation lies, he says, in the prophecy of Joel. They're not, they're not drunk. It's got to do with this guy named Joel who's a guy who said stuff in the Old Testament. And here it is. What does he say? Here it is. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. That's the beginning of, of the prophecy that Joel had that Peter quotes in explaining what is going on here on the day of Pentecost. Joel said that God would pour out his spirit on all people, note. 
Up to that point, the Spirit had been poured out on certain people at certain times. By people like prophets and priests and kings and judges and skilled temple workers for certain tasks. But now the Holy Spirit we poured out on all flesh, sons, daughters, young men, old men, male servants, female servants, all people, all people who were saved by God. And what did the Holy Spirit enable them to do? Why to, I've underlined it, prophesy. To prophesy. And in this context, prophecy was all about declaring the mighty works of God. You've got that in verse 11 in your sheet there. Verse 11, right? Declaring the mighty works of God. Furthermore, Joel prophesied that there would be climactic events. Have a look at the next slide. And I will show you wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapour of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone. There is a great and magnificent day coming called the day of the Lord. And it is the day when God will pour out his judgment upon all his enemies, on all who resist his rule, and save his people. That is, saving his people cannot take place without judging all those who resist his rule. It will happen on one of the same event, that day of the Lord, says Joel. But before that day, there will be cosmic events of blood, fire, vapour, darkness. We'll hear about that a little later, but... Do you hear the good news at the end? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone. The Lord whose name you can call upon to save you from God's judgment, in other words, <coughs> is this other person. Because who is the Lord? In Joel it's clearly God, but Peter goes on to explain, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. See, who is... The Lord that you can call upon, whose name shall save you? Why, it's Jesus. That's what Peter says, it's Jesus. This is the real Jesus of history. The real Jesus of Nazareth. The Jesus who did mighty works, healing people, expelling demons, calming storms, raising the dead. But evil people... Killed him. They crucified him. They put him to death. But he was raised on the third day. And all this was according to God's definite plan, which he foretold in the scriptures over and over and over again. Can you see why Acts chapter 2 is perhaps the most significant chapter in the New Testament? It's all there concerning the life and works and acts of Jesus. And Peter goes on to show how 
This is the case from Psalm 16 and Psalm 110 in the Old Testament, if you were to read on in Acts chapter 2. And in gist, basically, we don't have time to look at these passages closely, Psalm 16 and Psalm 110, but they essentially foretell that the Christ would always be victorious, that the Christ would win every battle against his enemies, because God was with him. And when Jesus died, it looked like his enemies had beaten him, but when Jesus came back to life, he proved that he was the Christ, that he showed his superiority over every person and every power. That's why Peter went on to say, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So here's Peter's explanation, you see, of these extraordinary events on this particular Pentecost day. What they saw, something like flames of fire. What they heard, the sound of rushing wind. What they spoke, the mighty works of God in different intelligible languages. It's all about Jesus. That's what the day is about. It's about Jesus. It's not about the extraordinary, but it is about the most extraordinary. Jesus. It's about his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his pouring out of the Spirit from heaven in fulfillment of prophecy. It's all there in the one chapter. Jesus empowered his apostolic witnesses by his Spirit from heaven to proclaim the mighty works of God concerning himself in the many languages that people could understand. Now just ponder for a moment. Whereabouts in the Old Testament do you read of people speaking in different kinds of languages? Whereabouts in the Old Testament? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah? The Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel. What happened in the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11? Well, they were all together. They were speaking one language. They wanted to invade heaven. They wanted to make a name for themselves. So what did God do in response? He scattered them. He divided them. Gave them different languages in judgment. What do we have here in Acts chapter 2? Why it's the reverse of the Tower of Babel. Can you see that? Sure they have different languages. But now they're not divided, they're united. And what do they do? They're making a name not for themselves, they're making a name for Jesus. It's all about Jesus. What they're doing is in fact telling of the mighty works of Jesus in different intelligible languages to all who can hear and understand. In this context, speaking in tongues is just speaking different languages. If you can speak another language, you can speak in tongues. Kevin can speak in tongues. He can speak in at least three or four different tongues. Others of you can speak another language. Unlike poor me, who can't speak another language at all. Poor me. But those of you who have the privilege 
why. Quite an amazing privilege that is. What we have here is the reverse of the Tower of Babel. And I suspect these climactic events of Jesus' life is what Joel referred to in his prophecy using the vivid metaphors of blood and fire and vapour and smoke and the sun turning to darkness. Remember, the sun did turn to darkness in a particular time of Jesus' life. Do you remember that? On the cross, there was an eclipse of some kind. The sun turned to darkness. Why? These all happened before the day of the Lord came. Before the great and magnificent day when God judges his enemies and saves his people, which for us is when Jesus will return to restore all things. So be warned, dear friends. If you're a king, prime minister or a president, if you're a government official, why if you're a lecturer or a tutor or an ordinary uni student, even if you come from Wollongong, be warned. Be warned. Because this is what it all means according to Acts chapter 2. And the next slide. Is there a next slide? There is. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, this Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That is the verse of Acts chapter 2. If you've got a highlighter and you're willing to highlight your Bible, this is the bit to highlight in Acts chapter 2. That's what the day is all about. It's not about the speaking in tongues. It's not about the rushing of wind. It's not about... It's all about... The fact that Jesus is Lord in Christ, that happened to show that Jesus is Lord and Christ. We don't need another event like that to tell us that Jesus is Lord in Christ because we have it here in front of us. And he remains Lord and Christ. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he is the King of Kings. That's what Christ is. You see, Christ is not his surname. Christ is a title like president or king. But it means king of kings, lord of lords. He is the one who rules them all. That's the meaning of the event that took place on the day of Pentecost. Jesus is the one who rules everyone, including you and me, whether we like it or not. And when Peter's listeners understood this, Look at the effect it had on them. Here's the effect. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus is Lord and Christ, then something needs to happen. The effect on them was that their world changed. Their world definitely changed. They were cut to the heart. Their conscience was pierced. They knew they were resisting the rule of Jesus 
So they needed to repent. The word repent simply means to have your mind changed and to live accordingly. They had to have their mind changed from thinking that Jesus wasn't ruling this world to the fact that Jesus is ruling this world. And therefore your life will change if your mind is changed on that. That's what it means to repent. Is that you? Do you know if you are resisting the rule of King Jesus? Is he number one of your life? Because if he's not, then Jesus calls upon you to repent. Is it an area of your life that you know that you continue to resist Jesus' rule? Jesus calls upon you to repent. To turn your life back to him. Because he is Lord. I don't know where you're at. But you need to consider turning back to God and asking for forgiveness if you know that you need to change. Please note that repentance doesn't save you. Jesus saves you by his death and resurrection. Repentance is a tangible expression of being saved, of being forgiven. Likewise, baptism doesn't save you. Jesus saves you by his death and resurrection. But baptism is a tangible expression of having your sins cleansed. If you don't live for Jesus now, and would like to find out how, then please write down in that comment slip that you'd love to find out more. Just say, I want to find out more. Just write that, I want to find out more. Or just write, I want to learn how to repent, or what it means, or what can I do? And we'll read the Bible with you, we'll pray with you. Just write that down. But for those of us who are repentant, for those of us who know that Jesus is our Lord, that Jesus is our Saviour, then please note the world has changed because Jesus is Lord. On the day Peter preached his sermon, two or rather 3,000 people were saved. That's changing the world. And we're in the last days. The Spirit of Jesus has been poured out on all his people and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And we're now in extra time. If you are saved, don't waste your life. Steward your life and your time in accordance with Jesus' plans and Jesus' purposes in this extra time. We don't need a million dreams to change the world. We just need one dream. That's God's dream. That's God's strategy of having spirit-empowered proclamation of Jesus. Spirit-empowered proclamation of Jesus. What do I mean by that? Well, let's take it by way of illustration. For the Muslim, the Quran can really only be understood and interpreted rightly in Arabic, in one language. But for the Christian, the word of God can be understood and interpreted rightly in any language. Isn't that incredible? 
Armenian, Arabic, Catalan, Chinese, all the dialects of Chinese, English, Portuguese, Spanish, Urdu, Wampaniog. It can be understood in all those languages, translated into all those languages. In fact, today, as I actually understand it, it's been the New Testament has been translated into 1,333 languages. Whereas the whole Bible has been translated to 553 languages. That's the ongoing impact of Acts chapter 2. That's all part of changing the world. So if you speak another language, can I encourage you to meet with someone else who speaks that language on this campus and share this glorious news of Jesus with them? Pair up with this thing called gospel buddies with someone else of another language that you share, that you speak. That would be an amazing privilege, wouldn't it? And do pray for friends who need to learn new languages as they are now serving as missionaries in other parts of the world. It's hard, yeah, there isn't it? But they've given up their life, they're stewarding their life to spend time learning a new language in order to share this glorious news of Jesus with people. I did hear of some friends in Japan who were praying and asking God that they might help these people that they were serving. But do you know what they actually were praying? They were actually praying, please, Lord, help me go bald. That's what they were praying, right? Language is hard. There are graduates of this university who are now serving in Gospel Buddhist Asia, Gospel Zero Buddhist Asia, uh, you knew their names last year, but I can only call them by their letters today because of their sensitive location. S and K. We're going to pray for S and K all through the year. They're missionaries who are serving with us, partnering with us. S and K have arrived in that part of Gospel Zero Buddhist Asia. They ordered six dumplings. <laughs> they got 36. <laughs> because they didn't quite work out the numbers in their new language that they're learning. Do pray for them, won't you? Right. They're praying for the gift of tongues. They're learning. God's giving it to them slowly. <laughs> Six at a time by the looks out. <laughs> but they're getting there, aren't they? I mean, it's only been two weeks in the end. But do pray for them, won't you? Pray that they will have this gift of speaking in other languages. But do note that every time we faithfully proclaim the mighty works of Jesus in whatever language, rightly, accurately from the scriptures, which these dear brothers and sisters will in due course, every time that that happens, every time we do it here, it is spirit-empowered to save his people. So under God, I'm inviting you to serve with us in changing the world. We're here to change the world under God. See more and more people saved to live for Christ and to live like Christ until he returns. Billy Graham died two weeks ago at the age of 99. If you don't know who he is, he's someone who preached the word of God to 215 million people in 185 countries where his proclamation was translated into a number of other languages. But we don't have to be Billy Graham to be spirit-empowered. As you meet in your faculty groups and read Colossians together, that's 
spirit and power proclamation. As you do walk up and go to people and talk to them on this campus, share the mighty works of Jesus, that's spirit-empowered proclamation. As you meet one-to-one, perhaps to read, uncover Luke with someone, or in another language or the gospel buddy from someone from another country, that's spirit-empowered proclamation. If you teach, as you teach Sunday school or teach youth group, the Bible, that's spirit-empowered proclamation. And of course, if you are raised up to go to the ends of the earth with this message, like S and K, that's spirit-empowered proclamation. That's changing the world. And we'd love you to join us in doing that. So please write down in your comments there. I'd like to find out more. I'd like to be involved in one of these things. We'd love you to share with us in this. Not for the sake of the Uni Bible Group, but for the sake of the Kingdom of Jesus. Will you pray with me? We thank you, dear Father, that Jesus is King and that He's empowered His witnesses and indeed his people to prophesy, to tell of Jesus' mighty works in many languages throughout the world. Please help us to do that as you change the world. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. I think someone else is going to lead us in prayer as well. Hi everyone, I'm Sammy and I'm a third year history student um, and like Richard said, I have the privilege of talking to God for us. So would you please pray with me. Father God, uh, we thank you so much for your son who is um, the Christ, who is the Lord of Lords. Uh, we thank you um, for his power and for his majestic name and we pray that as we look to proclaim his name at the Uni Bible Group, that you would be um, giving us boldness and courage to go out on campus uh, to tell everybody uh, the great um, saving news of his grace, um, that we would be seeking to uh, present everyone uh, mature and blameless in him. Um, we pray in particular for our group today, uh, particularly um, as it is Club Day, we pray that as it is ongoing at the moment, that we would be reaching many people on campus. Um, we pray that uh, through Club's Day, many people would um, hear about our group um, and that some may even hear about Jesus for the first time. Uh, we pray for follow-up after Club's Day. Uh, we pray that it's effective in encouraging people um, to hook up well into our, uh, into our group. Um, we pray that um, they could do this through... Um, the socials that we have this week, um, as well as on board. Uh, we do pray for the team who are planning on board. We pray that um, you would be helping them to um, plan the camp smoothly, um, that the camp would run smoothly, um, so that uh, the many people who come and hear the gospel proclaimed um, faithfully by Sam Green, um, and they can grow towards maturity uh, in you. Um, we pray also for our brothers and sisters at the Christian Union at Deacon, 
We praise you for the many opportunities that they had during the week to um, talk about or to present their group on campus as well as to proclaim um, you and to proclaim you to all the people at Deakin. Um, we pray that they would be uh, welcoming the new students that they have at the Christian Union, that they would be able um, to be um, hooked up well into their group um, and help them with their mission there. We pray also for group as there are new changes with the committee and staff we pray that um, through this time that you would be um, giving the group stability um, and peace as well uh, we pray also for Malaysia we thank you for our brother Kevin we thank you that um, he is here in Wollongong um, and he can join us at the Uni Bible group uh, we thank you as well for the freedom that um, some people have in Malaysia to be Christians and to know you but we pray for those uh, who don't have that freedom, particularly for the Malays. We pray that um, those who do know you, um, that you would be giving them peace uh, and security and comfort. Um, and that um, if it is your will, Lord, that you would be uh, changing um, the government in Malaysia so that people can come to know you freely um, and that all people in Malaysia might someday proclaim you as Lord. Amen.